Hey there, podcast listeners. This is the Bridge of Stories podcast. A platform that discusses world issues through personal lenses. We are your hosts. Students of the class of 2020 at the United World College in Mostar. Michelle Wang from China. And Ante Kashura from Poland. Every Saturday, we welcome interviews from all around the world. Bringing all kinds of stories to you. Making headlines from the news no longer foreign, but personal. Visit us on our Facebook page, Bridge of Stories. And for now, sit, sit back and, and enjoy, enjoy the episode. episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the second season of the Bridge of Stories podcast. Feels good to be back, doesn't it, Michelle? Absolutely, it feels great. Yes, so today we have something very special for you, an episode this time connected to our lives, to a project we did over the summer. So we traveled to Mexico. So we traveled all the way to Mexico, the both of us, and we stayed there for actually three weeks from July 22nd to August 2nd. And then we worked with this organization called Consejo Supremo Nianyu, or the Supreme Council of Nianyu. Nianyu being the name of the indigenous population. And so we did a lot of work connected to indigenous population, their lives. Um, we you know, talked to a lot of people. We did some field research, etc. And it was an absolutely um, exhilarating experience. And we just thought it'd be great if we could just like share with the audience. Uh, yes, so just a lot of clarification. So Nianyu people live in the state of Hidalgo, mm-hmm. which is slightly north uh, from Mexico City. Yep. We stayed with our friend from UWC Mostar, our friend Fernanda, which we have to thank here. It was it was great staying with you. And also she gave us and her her family gave us great opportunity to work with Consejo Supremo and you, which we which we truly appreciate. And especially a word of thanks to Professor Roberto Pedraza Martinez for his support and for giving us this wonderful chance to to work with Consejo Supremo and you. Absolutely. So we just wanted to mention that um, we're super grateful for this opportunity and all the things they offered us and really hope that we get a chance to work again. Now we will jump right into some of the things we actually saw and experienced during the trip. So Antek, do you want to start with like one of the most memorable experiences that you saw or witnessed? Oh yes, absolutely. I think the most memorable one during the whole trip was I think the cultural performance we got in the cultural center of Nianyu. So there was like this huge modern building for which was supposed to be like an enterprise to promote their new culture it was very well equipped they had like a dancing hall they had like the whole assembly meeting place movie theater movie theater it was great so we got invited there because we worked Mm -hmm. with the organization so it was us plus the representatives of the organization and we got invited to a very special performance by a music group uh there was choir there was a choir the um, dancing ladies. The dancing ladies. And we also got to see like all the costumes from different regions. Exactly. So it was not only, I mean, it was the new people, but then they also showed us like different uh, costumes related to indigenous people from all around Mexico. Absolutely. It was just so eye-opening to see not only, as you mentioned, the costumes, performances, and also I just feel like the love and the passion the people had in their culture was just something so, um, it touched me a lot. And seeing you know so many people putting so much effort into preserve preserving something that belongs to them for example i remember uh the ladies you know just like tapping their shoes oh, on the yes, ground yes. and dancing it was a great performance so essentially there's this dance performed by those ladies you know mid-age ladies mm-hmm. um and they just i don't know they seemed so passionate about what they're doing and they were they had this like those ayatas so essentially, I believe cloth, right? So yeah, it's like like a handi- sort of like a cloth. Right, so it's like a handicraft thing. Yeah, but like a very traditional to the Nyanyu people. Exactly, so it's this uh, traditional handicraft Nyanyu thingy, this creation, <laughs> right? Um, and then 
during the dance, actually, they were showing us how exactly they were making this. Yeah, like a whole procedure of the craft. Exactly, right? and then you know, with the men and like with the women and like you know, like the men, um, what are they doing? Like crashing the yeah, like crashing the leaves plants. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel bad now because I forgot the name of the plant. I see. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was like the most important one. But <laughs> Sorry, anyways, we'll, we'll look it up in a second. Uh, but it, they were crushing like the plant and then getting the cloth. And it was all in like the dance performance. That was like absolutely stunning. That yeah. the whole exactly. coordination in that, it, it was great. And I feel like, you know, it really matters because if you look at like countries around the world now, when I look at my own country, mm-hmm. it's like you don't really see, like you see attachment to culture, sure. but this is like a new level. And like mm-hmm. with this whole cultural center they have, they pretty much got like an opportunity to like preserve and also promote their own culture. But like, for mm-hmm. instance, things like that, like for me, it was something completely different. I've never encountered this culture and I it helped me to see like its true beauty, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think relating back to me, because for example, like in China, we actually have a lot of indigenous populations. And I feel like in terms of that, Mexico is really doing a great job uh, into, you know, starting organizations and like helping those people preserve the culture. And I feel like I see that trend also starting in China as well. And like actually a lot of countries around the world. And I think a lot of investment should be made actually necessarily like into those organizations, into helping them like flourish and like just preserve the culture better um coming from shanghai myself i like speak the dialect of shanghai but then i see this dialect just a dialect you know like such a yeah well i would i wouldn't say a small part but Mm -hmm. a small part of like a lot of culture right even the language itself is dying out and so i just i like i see the tremendously scary almost impact of cultures dying and I just thought it, it's so beautiful of them to have um, those organizations and cultural centers mm-hmm. to preserve those things. Yeah. See, what, while in China, you actually have the indigenous community. For yeah. me, in coming from Poland, it was just a very... like That was actually one of the things where I got really interested in the project when mm-hmm. Fernanda told us about that. Yeah. Because, well, even though we have minority groups, but we don't really have indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And this is not like a prominent issue. And honestly, before coming to UWC, I didn't even know that struggles that indigenous peoples are going through are actually that prominent and they are present and there are actions taken by the government by other bodies as well so for me it was really interesting to actually experience and see that and how this support is is working uh in that sense though like looking at the broader picture though uh even though like my impression when i went to the cultural center i was like wow like they have a lot of support you know because as i said it was a beautiful building and it was all sponsored by the state it was it was amazing and the performances were just absolutely stunning uh but then when you look at things that they actually require support so for instance there are the reports claiming that if you look at the national poverty rates and you compare them to the poverty rates among indigenous people so this is the report from 2010 i found so in the national there is 10.4 percent of people living in extreme poverty so the whole country. 10%? Yeah, 10%. In Mexico, yeah. Yeah. But if you look at the statistics for indigenous people, right. it is 40.2%. Wow, so there is a huge discrepancy mm-hmm. between the national and indigenous people. So I feel like even though the support is present, yeah. but I feel like, you know, like you can support in cultural center, right? right. But is that really going to affect people who live in poverty, right? I agree. I feel like... Because um, we saw a lot of embellished almost and, you know, pretty parts of yeah. the culture. But we did get to see, I feel like, some of the 
you know, like parts that need to, you know, need more help. Yeah, need, um, need support, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, I think this connects really well to the Maquilador, like the factory that we went to. It's like a clothing factory. Well, oh, not a factory, yeah. but like a family business. It's yeah, like, like a, a family teeny business. Teeny tiny business. It's yeah, not so even describe, a factory. Describe that, describe that. So, <laughs> yeah, like, well, we walk in there. Yeah, and so we walk in there and it's just like, a couple of people just sitting in front of their like you know like the machines that they use to make clothes and then like a couple of hangers but with a lot of clothes and just like stacking up um against each other and then the family is actually you know like the family just like sitting there and then the kids were running around but then you see the parents like just relentlessly working on whatever they're doing and then i don't know they looked really tired but they still like try to welcome us really you know, yeah. um, well, even though they were going through a lot of struggles, as we learned later, because exactly. yeah, so essentially when we were going to all the people, they would like describe what is happening with them, what what are they doing, and what they described is that they are very much suffering because there is a lot of uh, exploitation from the side of large companies. So essentially, how it works there is that those small businesses work for the large companies in Mexico. So there are large companies uh, that produce clothing items, and then they get them from the small. Uh, home family businesses, businesses or fa- family businesses, yeah. and we got to meet those people. They described right. it to us. Yet we quickly got to know that this cooperation, which well might be beneficial, like like you know you have the big company supporting small businesses, right? Sounds good. But then it turns out uh, I don't remember the exact values, but they ex- they described. I think it's like let's just say I don't know. They produce a skirt for like five peso but then like the transportation of like transporting that skirt to like you know being sold will cost like i don't know 100 pesos something like that you know yeah, exactly and, and they also like, they charge them for all their like damage or like exactly. not perfectly made Tailored yeah clothes. exactly if there's any mistake they would cut off the it's just you know, ridiculous yeah. yeah so like for instance you know in europe we frequently we frequently talk like oh we have too much labor protection well in mexico i feel like it's the complete yeah. opposite right like those people they cannot really hope for any help because they are pretty much you know they're working in the clothing industry they need the big company but while they're producing they're you know we saw them they were working you know as hard as they could mm-hmm. uh and then you know it turns out they are you know they actually finish the clothes they're supposed to make for the big company yeah. and then they get them to the company and then they tell them like oh you know what we're cutting like 50 percent of the value we're supposed to give you exactly. because the clothes are not the quality we expected or like just you know charging them for whatever they're yeah. charging them for well and as far as i know like looking at what they were doing i don't think the quality was bad like no, they were really really precise mm-hmm. you know this guy and he also like well to to actually support this claim so i don't make random statements here this guy described to us how he went to the united states to actually like improve and he was like one of the best people but best performing people in the yeah. in the factory you know and he i think he that. went there to get some experiences and all yeah, that yeah exactly and then factories. he came back so he was an extremely skilled worker yeah and then this company was just doing whatever they wanted so they can sell save money even exactly though. i just feel like the whole the whole um concept behind companies of like making profits like the profits get so magnified in companies eyes and it's just like they they just prioritize it so much that they just don't care about um whatever family businesses are going through and it's certainly yeah. a lot that they're going through well and, and you don't really see the government stepping in here either no i think it's because you know um probably a lot of government organizations also benefit from that yeah so, possibly possibly Though, like, organizations like the wor- the one we worked in, so Consejo Supremo, and you tried to support them, I think, through some means. Like, Absolutely. I think that one of the reasons we actually went to all those yeah. people is that they were somehow connected to, to the NGO that was supposed to help them. Yeah. Though, I mean, like, how much can you help as an NGO, right? Like, I guess there is a limit. There is a certain limit where you can help, and then 
there is a point where the government has to step in. And I'm actually not sure how much of this is being done. And that was sure. one thing I actually questioned after this visit. Sure. And I remember just going out of the, you know, um, the family, the house. And then I think it was Fernanda, actually. She was like, oh, people may, you know, seem like great on the outside, but the real Mexico is what we just saw. And um, it's something that hit me really hard. And I was like, because, you know, like when you go to Mexico City, you see all those like, glamorous city lights and just yeah. like a city that's functioning so greatly like mm-hmm. with so much like um vibrant just you know things going on yeah, all over yeah, the place well. and then you go to indigenous communities and then you see those and i guess that's what real mexico means and not just mexico i believe like yeah. you can even extrapolate it to like a greater context exactly right? and i feel so, like well this the, i don't know did you get to see the mexico city in general not really just you a bit did, right though, well yeah. i did I, I made a solo trip to mexico city <laughs> on the very last day because right. michelle was leaving one day earlier yeah uh, so i came to mexico city to see myself a bit uh, so what Michelle was what Michelle was saying is that there is a huge difference. Like if you go to Mexico City, like it's pretty much uncomparable to mm-hmm. like other cities and other places in Mexico. Yeah. Because we like we had a great chance to actually not go to only the touristy locations, yeah. but actually to see the true life. And like for people like those working in this factory, like we actually got to see how people live, right? Exactly. So it was an experience. I think for me, really showed me, like, you know, Mexico City, like, huge skyscrapers. Right. People, like... Great transportation, a lot exactly. of people. Yeah. And then there's, like, a huge difference between that, which is, right. like, slightly scary to me, if you, if you ask me. Absolutely. And I think a lot more work um, needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's quite difficult, though, absolutely. to eliminate something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. You see that in every country. Like, yeah. where I live, I'm really privileged. I feel really lucky to have um, been born in a city of great wealth and just like productivity but then when you travel to other parts of china you really see how the representation of like gini coefficient right like our gini Mm. coefficient is like almost one um and so you really see well actually yeah oh wow yeah so you really see like the discrepancy yeah describe what the gini coefficient means oh right so sorry guys um (laughs) essentially the gini coefficient measures uh how the huge the gap is between the rich and the poor. Yeah, so like the income distribution. The income dist- uh, distribution in a, in a country. And so if the Gini co- coefficient is almost up to one, that means like there's a huge gap between the rich and the poor in a country. And so in China, that's a- actually um, a huge phenomenon and one that needs to be, that needs to t- be taken care of. And um, so, for example, if you go to like coastline cities or like cities that are developing really fastly, for example, Beijing, Shanghai and all that, um, you see a lot of development. But then when you travel to like the inner countries, the inner provinces, sorry, the inner cities and provinces, you really see a lack of development and just, you know, um, lack of economic booming as yeah. opposed to other cities though on the other hand you know you see this income inequality but you know we went to this this factory but you can see like the people are really like their work ethics is that they are like you know they're really trying to you know they love their job right exactly uh and i think i remember if you you remember the visit to the organic farm you went yeah to, right i was actually just about to mention that yeah it was exactly such a memorable one. so you can like see there was okay so let's maybe describe that sure. so we went there there was like a greenhouse right yeah it's like a couple of greenhouses actually yeah, a couple we of only went to one yeah so it was like an organic farm mm-hmm. of uh, also a farmer who was from the indigenous Nyanyu people yep. um, and he had he showed us around his own farm he also talked how how he works and yeah I believe he has a lot of like um, variety kinds yeah. of plants uh, going on and then he's been actually 
working in this field for like I think the beginning of his life, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a family yeah, business for a couple of yeah. decades actually. And um, he was telling us how it was like blossoming and. Uh, national policies actually helped him a lot, and so mm-hmm. I think it's a really great contrast between the uh, the family business, the clothing fa- yeah. uh, family business, and like this one. I think you really see a difference. And then in this farm, you know, they utilize like great renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of like watering techniques yeah. that reuse the water or like make sure it's sustainable, etc. And I was just really con- like I was just really shocked at how. Um, up to date they are in terms of technology yeah yeah very much very much so well possibly what we talked about like i feel like the involvement might be present only in certain areas right because if you look i'm not sure if that was government though because he mentioned a lot about uh, about nafta for instance he he talked a lot about nafta and how he views it as you know beneficial for his own business right yeah uh i mean even though he doesn't um what's called export uh, outside of the country i mean he, he would like to but it would be a lot of a lot of work like he thinks it's easier to get for instance seeds and everything uh because they have like those certain trade agreements but also like you know there's no way he built all those greenhouses with his own money he probably he definitely has some kind of a subsidy here absolutely i think hmm, i think it really depends on the factory then right like yeah for example clothing factories um as in like the sectors of jobs if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so for example like the clothing sector versus agriculture sector versus like you know the other dozens of factors of sectors out there and so i think like there's again a huge gap right that you see between sectors and jobs yeah and the amount i think it actually makes me think of the involvement of like large corporations right because in agriculture like i guess you like they're not that present right are they Hmm. While in the clothing business world, well, they clearly are. So I feel like there might be some influence in that sense, which is which is hard to about. It just makes me think of that. Of you know, course. when you could go- be a factor. Yeah, it could be. If you if you compare the farmer to the clothing worker. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like also the farmer being super passionate about their jobs. I oh think yeah, that's, absolutely. That's something you know really great about those people. They are so like not just welcoming to us, but also actually caring about what they're doing, etc. I remember like him. Um, also stating, oh, so, quote, first comes the planet, then the profits. Oh, yeah, because he was an organic farmer, Exactly, right? and so I think it's great that he has those, like, you know, um, all those, like, great ambitions and also, like, his ability to care for the planet and just, like, its sustainability in a whole. Um, I think it's something really great and something, you know, the community, yeah, you know, the world yeah. can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know... Organic farming, I guess, well, is it the future? We don't know what's going to happen with, with farming. But, you know, what, what he was doing is that, you know, he had very modern things and he was definitely producing very high quality products. And, you know, like, as you as you were saying, like, yeah. there is, like, you could see, like, his true passion. It was, you know, it was exactly. him, it was the clothing business. Like, those people, like, they really know Into what, what they're, doing, they're doing. They really want to do what they're doing. And even though, like, it's... It's interesting because I feel like you can easily lose motivation, right? Especially, yeah. like, if you look For... at the guy from the clothing business. I, you know, we came yeah. there and I was like, you know, like, if you're losing so much money, like, it has to be how so hard. How are you hard. still doing that? Yeah, right? how are you yeah. still doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess... Well, they probably also, I guess it would be very difficult for them to change. Exactly. I think it, it actually might want, be one of the issues right. in general with the right. indigenous people that they're very attached to the to the craft they're doing, mm-hmm. which is beneficial in a sense. They are producing very high quality products and they really exactly. like what they're doing. But on the other hand, I guess with the expanding market for different types of labor, yeah. I think it might just be difficult for them to actually adjust to the new environments of the market. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Just well, you you read a lot about that, right? You read a lot about uh, automatization. Um, automation so... of jobs. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, automation's becoming a problem um, around the world, and so yeah, like I think it might um, impact Mexico at some point as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And just like going from the organic farms, I it kind of actually reminded me of the water company that we visited. Remember, oh, like, the water bottle thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually cool. It was an interesting experience. Do you want to describe it a bit? I mean, okay, so we just went there and yeah. we didn't really know what to expect because it was like Same. a very, like a tiny place as well. Like, yeah. okay, we visited a lot of like small businesses, right? Right. Um, so we went there and then this lady was like, she had kind of like, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, there's like large bottles. Um, so like huge, large, like plastic blue bottles that yeah. you would see for water. You put them in like a distributor, right? Yeah. It's a very popular thing in Mexico, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's also present in a lot of other countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's in Mexico, like, everyone has it, pretty much. Yeah, so essentially it's like one of those like huge blue bottles. Yeah. And then we had like, okay, so we walk in, right? And it's like super white, like every, like all the tiles are white. And then you see three huge like... Those metal machines, I don't even know yeah, what they're like, purifiers I mean, she described are. it to us, how it yeah. works, like, everything. It's really, like, it's really complicated. Yeah, it's like yeah. a purifier. Let's really say it's a purifier. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so you see, like, three huge purifiers, and then in front of them you see, like, a monitor. And then she explained to us, I think it's something to do with, like, pressure and temperature and all that to make sure the water is clean. And then it goes to another little, like, machine that they use to clean the bottles, right? Mm-hmm. And then they even use, like, those, like, electric, like... What are those like feather thingies, right? Yeah, to clean yeah, the bottles. Yeah, yeah. So we make sure it's like super clean and all that. And then they go to another tiny teeny room, right? Yeah. And to fill in the water that's been purified. Um, and like she showed us the entire process and it's just I'm so amazed by like how much work that needs to be put in to just produce a you know, single bottle of water. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. But that's a good business, though. It's though. Like, every, everyone has them, right? So they have this, like, truck that drives around the neighborhood yeah. and just, like, distributes them. I mean, they don't give them for free. They sell them. Sure, but. sure, sure. I was actually just about to mention that because it's great that... Because um, I believe we asked whether the community is also, like, you know, near new present. Yeah. And so apparently, like, the entire community that they're delivering water for are, like, you know, like, Nyanyu people. Yeah, like most so indigenous people. Yeah, and so they're really, like you know, um, reaching out to the Nyanyu, like, community and just, like, trying to help them out with, like, any kind of services, I feel. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and the woman as well, she was just, like, really into what she's doing yeah. with her son. Yeah, exactly, there was a son there. So nice. Yeah, he was also, like, really yeah. engaged. And you can even see people just, like, cars showing up and just buying the bottles straight yeah. from there. Yeah, he actually got interrupted because someone <laughs> um, came in and got a lot of water. So, yeah. yeah. But it was nice, but, like, you know, you feel the same passion from the people, like, you know, they, they own they own small businesses but they, they really enjoy it absolutely which i guess i don't know how big overall small businesses play in general but mm-hmm. like in terms of the new people you can really see they they really into into owning something like that exactly so. and i remember um being in the culture center you know the host the lady that was hosting us she mm-hmm. was super nice yeah. and then i believe during like her closing speech you know she was just like addressing um the Nyani population in a whole and she was like she said something along the lines of you know people here the Nyani people they work Right, like they work as in they dedicate so much of their lives and their passion into what they're doing mm-hmm. to build a better community. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what the organization like the Consejo, like the Consul mm-hmm. is also doing. And being able to go there and witness it 
And actually, I just want to mention this because um, I remember the one and only request that we got from them was that we spread the word out, right? Oh, yeah. So they were in, yeah. Exactly. Right. So they wanted us to tell the stories, to pass it down to, you know, more people. And I think this is a great way, like podcasting, I think it's a great way to, you know, share their stories and all that. And just being there, able to witness it, and now being able to have the privilege to share with a wider audience. And I think it's just amazing. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like people are just not aware of that, you know? Exactly. That's, yeah. And then, you know, the culture is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it makes you realize, you know, the true value of culture. But it also makes, makes you realize the struggles that people sometimes are going through, right? right? When they're not really able to have their culture and how it impacts them. And what struggles are indigenous people going through. You know, because I didn't know pretty much anything about that. And, you know, learning from Mexico, I got to know about so other, much. other you know, places like New Zealand or Canada where, you know, the struggles are there as well. Right. And it just opened my eyes to a lot of things, I'd say. Absolutely. And speaking of opening eyes, I remember um, also there's this guy from the university. I believe it's called UTVM, right? The abbreviation of the university. I wish I could say it in Spanish. You say it, something, something. We learned a bit of Spanish. Though, we learned a bit of poquito. Yeah, poquito. <laughs> and so we visited this university, and um, there was actually this young man that actually got the privilege as well to study abroad and to go to France, I believe, for an exchange program um, to study, I believe, management, right? Yeah, I think so. I think right. it was management, yeah. Right. And so we actually visited the university, um, the university, Universidad Tecnológica Valle del Mesquital. That place. I exactly. really hope I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and so this person from the university, um, he also is connected with the council. Yes. And so we got uh, invited to see the university, and then we just saw so many of like the things they're doing, and it's just it's it's amazing, you know. And I remember um, first going to the Department of Management, I believe, right? Like yeah, we first I think went so. to the Department of Management, and then we got to share some of our experiences in Mostar. And I just I, it felt great to mm-hmm. even um, talk about you know the things we witness on a, 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 like everyday basis. For example, like the some of the problems going on in here. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And some of the stereotypes we have broken ourselves. Yeah, are, like, yeah, exactly. Though, like, yeah. the thing is, the university has a lot of study abroad programs, yeah. which students can take. Exactly. Uh, so we really wanted, with our visit there, we wanted to show them that this is something very beneficial really and opportunity it. they could use. Exactly. Um, and so I remember also, we went to the tourism and gastronomy. Yeah. That was an interesting Depart- visit. Oh my gosh, we talked a lot so about great. food. <laughs> yeah, so it's the gastronomy department, right? They were so yeah. nice. Yeah, they were they, really friendly. Um, exactly. So they invited us, actually, to try some of the... Uh, local dishes actually i believe oh. also from the indigenous community right? yeah yeah this thing the, the, like they cook this thing like inside of the leaves of the corn it was insanely good <sighs> what is it called fernando will tell you guys fernando will tell you <laughs> um and so yeah so we tried a lot of oh, what is it actually called well, well they told us but we forgot they, oh we're oh, really we're sorry um and so we tried a lot of local dishes and again it just show, shows like the essence of like just wisdom i think um of this community because like they're just so delicate in what they're doing and, I don't know, just like so perfect at what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, well, something very new for us, right? We are very on like the typical European diet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd say. in Bosnia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, the food is absolutely amazing. So if you ever go to Mexico, like oh. the food oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. stunning. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this visit, because it was just so exciting for me to go to this sure. university and like show the experience. And you can see like people were just like so curious, you know, they were so interested 
I really hope some of them will actually, you know, apply for the uh, for the study abroad programs because Same. I think that would be that would be absolutely amazing for them. Like the absolutely. guy we met who's going to France, he was like, yeah, a really really interesting person. I really liked because he he described all his application process and everything, and mm-hmm. you could see the true passion that he he had. Exactly. So I really hope we'll also be able to encourage some people because you know it's also a great opportunity for them. So as we said, there are some issues in the country and if they manage to study abroad somewhere, they might get a better perspective and they actually see, try to find solutions to those issues. Right? Because exactly. I feel like, you know, in general with international education, what I see here is that you're looking at, from, at things from different perspectives. Yeah, and seeing, it opens doors. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like there are things that you don't realize. And when you talk to people who are from different countries and who are from different cultures, and mm-hmm. this is the opportunity for them to do so, then they can actually try to find solutions to what's happening in the country, right? Exactly. And just, you know, coming back to the topic of culture, I feel like another great representative of, like, a representation of um, the Nyanyu culture is actually... You know, like their clothing, and essentially the oh, idea yeah. that we, we got mentioned. to, we got to, yeah. They were always asking us to like wear try them, it on, yeah, try them that. on. It was so nice. Yeah, they were, they were really nice. Exactly, and so I guess I would just like go into detail about like what exactly is this ayate that we've been mentioning is. So oh, essentially, yeah. <laughs> how you make it is really complicated, and again, I think it's just like another, you know. Like a gem of like the Nyanyu culture. Yeah, it, you know it's a I mean? cloth, just to clarify. It's like the cloth they yeah. they make on this like poles. So, right. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's describe that. So essentially, a grandma, you know, would like sit down and then um, they would actually tie themselves up uh, with like this, you know, line sort of thing to like a tree or something. And then they would adjust themselves. And then they have this like, they would have this pole, right? This like wooden thing, like a wooden stick. And then they would like tie around the cloth on it. And then in front of that, you have, like, the cloth, um, and then along that, like, another four or five wooden, like, sticks or, like, poles or something, and just, like, lying there to, like, adjust the, the cloth. And then the grandma would, like, weave in, like, the colorful ones into, like, the original cloth, and it would form, like, a pattern. It's so complicated, I don't even know how to yeah, describe it. Yeah, it is a complex explanation. It's so complex. Just trust us, it looks very pretty. It, it looks so pretty, and it's just, like, it's so... I, I just like I wonder yeah. how they make it you know and I was like like you know granny like how do you actually make it and she's just like yeah I've been doing this since I was like 11 <laughs> so I just know you know and I think yeah. we tried it even right yeah, like we tried the point. very original process of like making yate and it was just so hard like for, yeah, I for was us, struggling very much <laughs> even pick up the like the very primitive process right that's like not even I don't know like one yeah like one percent of the entire work right it already mm-hmm. took us like ten minutes, um, and so being able to see something being created out of bare hands and so many like complicated tools it was just it was wow it was just I was so like astonished yeah and they like especially like the very classic pattern is the bird the birds yeah yeah the birds. Uh, and they attach them to like pretty much everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have like for for men those usually shirts. Yeah. Um, they even like if we went to the church in Ixmikilpan, uh-huh. on the gate of the church there were right. the birds. It's like a very very oh, yeah. traditional pattern. Yeah, and so we actually got to witness this like grandma, you know, making the pattern of yeah. the bird. Um, she did it within like I don't know five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And she just like it's really complicated because you have to memorize a pattern. Yeah. I have no idea how she does that. Yeah. I, I have no clue. And so just, you know, sitting there watching her with like all her like, you know, like sticks and like cloth and all that. I was just so shocked. Yeah, yeah that, that was, that was I really, really liked it. You know, it's, it's also something, you know, we like no one produces because this is the, I mean, in other countries, because this right. is 
so dumb. Isn't that like, Magave? The, the leaf? Mojave. I think <laughs> no, so. No, we're trying to remember that. We're trying to, because it's, it's the fine. same leaf, okay? So they, they used for a lot of things. Uh-huh. And I think one of them is this. Probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the leaf, the very, the Mexican leaf yeah. um, that they use. <laughs> well, it's it's something you don't encounter in other countries, so. Exactly. And um, just, I don't know, just seeing such a, and because like everything is handmade, right? I don't think it's even possible for you to like make a yeti out of like, I don't know, machines or whatever. Everything we saw were um, handmade. Yeah. And so that's why they sell at such a high price, which I think makes complete sense. And I don't know, I just, I really hope their business is doing great. Like, I just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think one more topic we should mention, actually, is the involvement of other actors besides the government itself. So sure. we we had a chance to experience NGOs, right? Yeah. So we worked in the NGO and we saw that there is support, there is clearly support, like, for instance, the education, right? So you can see them being involved. Though, I mean, there is a certain limit, as I mentioned before, to what an NGO can do. Yeah. But what I was reading, actually, is that the United Nations, so an interna- intergovernmental organization, which is involved in indigenous rights upholding, yep. uh, was supposed to... They had like a report on Mexico, and actually one of the issues they realized uh, that is present in Mexico is the fact that since Mexico is a federation, you see individual states that they, they can implement their own laws. Right. So even if the government sometimes would try to fight for the rights of indigenous people, individual states can still not follow this jurisdiction because they have control it's it's kind of like in the united states right so you have individual states like hidalgo is like an important state yeah right. like it's not a, like, yeah, a state in a sense it's not a nation but it's a no. it's a state inside, inside of a country right? right but they have a lot of control over its own policies so it is an issue but there's is something that you know you can't can't resolve pretty much though i think someone mentioned to us that there is like there's gonna be something that says that there has to be a certain percentage of indigenous people in the government, right? Exactly. I think, yeah, someone was mentioning to us how um, there is already, I think, even there is, but, uh, a policy that guarantees there has to be, like, like let's a, say, like a 40% yeah, like representation. a proper representation of the indigenous people. Exactly. And I think that's a huge step forward. And, you know, intergovernmental organizations can really not just rely on, like, well, they can try to, you know, help out um, in other ways, not just, like, directly perhaps interfering with, like, the state business, but ha- perhaps, like, try to, you know, like, um, help out with the representation, like, the government. Did. Yeah, and I feel like you can see this is crucial, right? Because without this representation, like, you know, they would be just... They implement... wouldn't have any words. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And they they wouldn't be able to protect themselves from, from things like that, right? Right. So I think it's crucial that they're making those steps. But what I found interesting is that, you know, like, UN is, like, engaged, but no one really mentioned that to us, right? When we, when we went there, there was no, like... Because, like, for instance, if you go to Bosnia and Herzegovina, right? You go to Mostar, you can see, like, this sort of, like, an, I mean, it's questionable if it's necessary or not, and many people disagree with that. Uh, and, well, it's a complex case. Though, in Mexico, you don't really see that much of those. Maybe they're just not visible, which is... It, it's hard to decide on that. But, like, for us, maybe we're working in a very regional level, but you didn't really see that much of, like, an involvement from different actors than just NGOs and the government, right? I think it also has to do with the fact that, like, we were working with um, an, you know, regional organization yeah, 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 exactly. instead of an international one. And so it was more about their involvement and it's very community-based mm-hmm. than international. Um, and I think it's necessary actually for them to, well, you know, try to boost it up to like 
But do you think it should be focused more on regional or more on like an international? I think it should be. I think it should be internationally discussed. Absolutely, because like I feel like a lot of people just really don't know about the cases and some of the you know circumstances of the indigenous population, Um, and you know making it like more making the information more widespread. Like for for instance, us discussing those stories, I feel like it really does make a reach to a wider audience, Mm -hmm. whether it be you know, through an international uh, organization or, like, just UN, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll see how this how this changes because, right. well, different issues become more visible at times. So if it once turns out to be indigenous rights, I guess we might see more of this involvement and mm-hmm. more of this international organizations or even other countries just, like, stepping in. Sure. Um, all right, I think this is all we want to talk about from our experiences exactly. from Mexico. Yeah. We're really happy we had actually a chance to show it with other people because Absolutely. that was... An unforgettable experience for us but we really wanted it's sort of like a treasure we got to have Mm -hmm. traveling there because we had this wonderful opportunity to to actually experience that ourselves but what we know not a lot of people do so this is a great way in which you can we can share this with you exactly and so we just we feel really great as well that we fulfilled their you know the um, council's request to share this experience with a wider audience we would just like also to thank all the people that helped. Yeah, especially the Professor Roberto Pedraza Martinez, who was we actually visited him, and he was also really excited about our work, which we which we really appreciate. It was it was crucial for us to actually be able to to go to Mexico. Absolutely, and of course Fernanda and her family for hosting us. They were absolutely lovely people, and yeah, we hope to visit them again at some point. Yeah, absolutely, and for our audience, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very and much. And we're hoping to see you on other episodes of season two. Well, probably with guests next time. This yeah. one was a special episode, but absolutely. we really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bridge of Solid podcast. We would like to especially thank the ones that have shown great support for this project. The United World College in Mostar, National Committees of Poland and China, Mr. Adrian de Mol van Otterloo, and the 2019 Mostar Youth Summer Program. We can't wait for you to hear the next episode. See you next Saturday.